So do you hear it? Have you heard? Have you heard the whispers? Can you, can you feel it in the air? These whispers in the night that a battle is coming, that a war is on its way. Is it true? Is it true that there's a new king that rides for the city to wage war against the oppressors? Some are saying that they've heard he's out on the countryside gathering up his militia. Others are saying that he will ride into town tomorrow from the east through the Golden Gate. He's close by. Others are saying he's right outside the city near the Mount of Olives and he will be here very, very soon. You see, this might have been some of the conversations and the whispers that were going on some 2,000 years ago as the city of Jerusalem swelled to nearly 2 million people as Passover neared. The city was hot. It was crowded. It was busy as preparations were being made for the most important festival and feast of the Jewish people. But under all that was this growing tension of war and a battle. A growing sense that maybe, just maybe, Israelites and Israel would finally reclaim its promised land and rid itself of its bondage. And wouldn't that be fitting, right? Wouldn't that be fitting that on the eve of their festival that celebrates their original release from captivity, they would regain their freedom and independence once again. So there's talks of rebellion. There's fighting in the streets. And out in the distance, a man gathers followers. Could he be the Messiah, the anointed one, the long-awaited king, anticipated king they've been waiting for? You see, this very weekend, today, Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus set his focus on the swelling city of Jerusalem and would begin his coronation as king. Christian tradition marks this day as Palm Sunday. This is the day in which the Messiah would enter his city. But before we get there and we get to his entry, we want to talk a little bit about what happened on the other side of the city on that same day. Because on that same day, someone else was arriving in the city. It was Pontius Pilate. Surrounded by hundreds of Roman soldiers and, do, and riding atop a war horse, he enters Jerusalem from the west through the main gates. Here's a little map for you. Um, this is the area of Israel during Jesus' time. And up there along the coast on the left side is an area called Caesarea Maritime. That was also known as Caesarea by the Sea. It was a large palace and stronghold, not to be confused with Caesarea Philippi, which is in the top right of the map. This was a stronghold and palace built by the great, uh, by Herod the Great. It was where Pilate lived as governor of Judea. There he maintained rule over the land and of the Jewish people. There he kept his military forces, his chariots, his war horses, and his other instruments of war. But as the festival time arose, Pilate would mount up on his horses and he would make the 60-mile journey down the coast and over to Jerusalem. And as he arrived, he would do it with as much pomp and circumstance as he could afford, as much grandeur as he could make possible. Legions of soldiers dressed in battle, chariots armed to the teeth, war horses mounted with men and armor to look like giants. It was a military parade. It was a display of great power. It was there to remind the Jewish people who was in charge. And why not do this? You know, of course, as a city swells to nearly 2 million people and there's unrest and um, there's, uh, you know, some tension in the city, 
Um, you know, you're, you're with a bunch of people who don't want you in their city. They don't like you. You're in their holy space and their holy city. Um, so what you want to do is you want to show them who's in charge, who the boss is. So at a festival like Passover, there's, there's bound to be some civil unrest, right? Because imagine if we as Americans were someday occupied by foreign invaders. You know, every year as 4th of July rolled around, we would be reminded of freedom's lost, and we would probably get a little feisty too and a little frustrated, and uh, we would want to maybe throw fists in the street as well, right? But Pilate is there to make sure that the Jewish people know their place, who's in charge, and he's willing to put his foot down on any sort of rebellion that may arise in the city. Um, he's also under a lot of pressure from Caesar and those above him. And while Pilate puts, his parade, puts on his parade and is mostly, most likely, he's probably forced thousands of people to line the streets and cheer for Rome and for himself to make, him, to make them feel good about their, their place. On the other side of the city, everyone is beginning to talk about someone else. And that's where we're going to be this morning. So if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. In Matthew chapter 21, it starts, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. So another little map for you, just to kind of give you some reference. So again, up in the top left, Caesarea Maritime, where Pilate has just come from down the coast and over to the east to Jerusalem. And the little red dot is about where Jesus is, the Mount of Olives, just outside the city gates in Jerusalem. So there Jesus was. Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go, go ahead to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. And that's always a funny kind of moment for me, because I wonder, did Jesus like sneak into the town in the middle of the night and like went up to a farmer? Hey, in a couple of days, some, some, some of my guys are going to walk in and ask for your donkeys, and the guy's like, okay. Or, you know, are they, it's just, it's a funny moment to me, and I, and I wonder how Jesus arranged all that. Uh, and he does it a little bit later in the story as well with the Passover room, and just all the uh, behind-the-scenes things that Jesus is making happen that, that, that just go according to his plan uh, just always interests me. But anyway, it says this. It says, they took, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you riding on a gentle donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, Jesus here, he's quoting his scriptures, a blending of Isaiah chapter 62 and Zechariah 9. Uh, all a reminder that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, why he's doing it, and where he's going from here. And then continuing on, he says this, and we read this a little bit earlier. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while, other, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him. And those who followed shouted, Hosanna, which in the literal Hebrew means, save us to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You see, Jesus is the coming king. 
And he's having a much, much different parade than the one we see from Pilate on the other side of the city. And what we, what we know is in these two parades is really a display of two different kingdoms, right? It's a display of two totally different ideas of what a kingdom is. On one hand, you have a kingdom built on power, money, war, conquest. The Romans had this idea of Pax Romana, or what we would say Roman peace. It was one in which they believed that you only found peace through victory and conquering your enemies. And then on the other side, you have a kingdom built on the ideas of true peace, mercy, love, equality, justice, forgiveness. And the people noticed what was happening. This was a subversive act of political theater. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And the people were beginning to recognize. Jesus not only entered the city, but he did so in a completely opposite manner of the ruling authority. And this is the kind of action that gets you in trouble. This is the kind of stuff that makes those in charge unhappy and uneasy. In Luke's account, he kind of records a little bit of this. So if we flip over to Luke chapter 19, Luke says, uh, this starting in verse 39, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. See, the Pharisees knew this is going to be seen as a political statement, and this is dangerous. They had grown comfortable with their oppressors and their rulers, and Rome helped to fill their pockets and make sure that they were well taken care of. And to shout Hosanna, to shout save us in the midst of your occupier, to invoke the name of King David, man, that is trouble of the highest level. And we can understand why the high priests are so upset as we read this story. But the king has arrived. And if these people were to be quiet about it, Jesus tells us that the very earth itself would shout and proclaim his name. But this is the thing. Jesus knows what's about to happen. So Luke continues to tell us, as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Jesus begins to cry. As he looks up at the temple mount, and he sees the house of the Lord. And he sees the, the, the glorious city that David built. He weeps and he cries. And he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. And encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You see, Jesus knows the heart of these people. He knows their heart. And although they cheer for him as he enters the city, he knows that they are not willing to follow Jesus' way. You see, they want war. They want a fight. They want bloodshed. They want to defeat their oppressors and send them to death. So Jesus knows that they will reject his peaceful, nonviolent kingdom. He knows this and it breaks his heart. They will choose war over him. God has come to show them what it means to be human and live in his kingdom. And they will reject it for swords and shields. But that's our way, right? That, that's the way we do things as humans, right? We desire a fight over peace. We desire anger over mercy. Hey, do you remember when you were little 
and you played with toys. Um, you know, some of us still have toys in their office, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, but remember when you were little and you had little green army men, right? Uh, ladies, I don't know if you had little green army men or G.I. Joes, but um, most of us guys did. Um, some of you may. Uh, you know, one of the things you, you, when you had your little green army men is you didn't want to be the guy with the binoculars. He was pointless. He was the first one in the front to get mowed down by your, your RC car or whatever tank you had, right? Or your guy with the little walkie-talkie. He was the first one to go as well, unless you needed him to call in an airstrike and you were just going to throw rocks at everybody, right? Um, or with your G.I. Joes, if you had G.I. Joes, you never wanted to be like the engineer who worked on the G.I. Joe truck. That, that was not the cool G.I. Joe. The cool one was Snake Eyes, the one in the, the, the ninja guy, right? Because he has swords and a machine gun. That's the cool one. That's the one you want to be. But remember when you were little and maybe you, you had friends over and uh, y'all were out in the front yard because that's the jungle, right? And if your parents hadn't mowed in a while, it's like a really great jungle and you can like hide your G.I. Joe down in the grass. Um, but you're, you're, you're there and your buddies bring over all their G.I. Joes or Green Army men. I, I remember when I was little, we would do this. We would have big army fights in, in my yard and we would set up all of our G.I. Joes and have... Um, have the battle ready. But imagine you have your big battle ready. You just have a whole legion of G.I. Joes and army men ready to fight. And then your buddy from down the street goes, all right, guys, time to talk about peace agreements. Time to talk about peace accords. Let's, let's, let's uh, bring some, some peace to all this chaos. Right? You would look at your friend and be like, get out of here. Go back home, you loser. Right? Like, you don't, nobody wants the kid who comes to play G.I. Joe's and wants to talk about peace agreements. I mean, you want to get down and dirty and break some G.I. Joe legs, right? I mean, that, who, who does that? Or, or maybe this is maybe more your style. You, you like playing board games. You like Risk, the game that never ends along with Monopoly. Oh, it never ends. But anyway, uh, you know, you, imagine you have game night at your house and you get out Risk and you set up the hundreds and thousands of pieces that, that Risk is and you all have your little uh, lands and you're ready to start and somebody across the table goes, okay, let's talk about how we can get along and share resources. You're like, what? You loser, you're never invited to game board night again. And you'd kick them out of your house, right? Because that's not what we do. And I know this seems absurd. It sounds absurd. But let's be honest. For most of us, we choose to fight. And we choose violence over peace most days of the week. It's somehow in our very nature to fight, to wage war. We have an infatuation with violence and war. And sometimes that manifests itself in larger things and um, the things going on in our world right now. Sometimes that manifests itself in smaller microaggressions and the anger and the frustrations we take out on each other and our neighbors and our family and the random strangers we meet and come across every day. But we love it, right? Somehow we have bought into the myth of redemptive violence, thinking that killing the bad guy is what makes everyone safe. That taking the other out is the path to peace. It's the idea that we live under Pax Romana again. Peace through victory. Peace through conquering those we don't like or agree with. But today, on Palm Sunday, we see a picture of two opposing forces. One willing to wage war to show its strength and power, and one willing to give up everything to show his. 
So there's this play that I read about. It's uh, this performance that began in around 2012 based on the Iliad. You know that book in high school we all pretended to read, but none of us really did? It's called An Iliad, and it has two performers. It's got a muse in it. It's, uh, the muse helps tell the story through, uh, through song and through music. And then it's got the poet in it, and he tells the story. And at one point in the show, the poet, tired and weary from all the fighting and battling and war that has occurred up to this point, he sits down alone on a chair in the middle of the stage, and he reflects on the loss of life and the death that has occurred so far in human history. And he says, and picture this, a dark stage with a man, tired and weary. He says, it's so, if you see it, the waste. It's just like, I don't know. There was this one time, and he's trying to remember at this point. There was this one time, and he says, oh yes, yes. It was a terrible hot day during the conquest of Sumar. I mean, uh, the conquest of Sargon. No, 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 no. It was the conquest, the Persian War. No, and then he begins to list off 150 wars through human history. The Peloponnesian War, the War of Alexander the Great, the Punic War, the Gaelic War, Caesar's invasion of Britain, the Great Jewish Revolt, the Yellow Turban Rebellion, the War against the Moors in North Africa, the Roman-Persian War, the Fall of Rome. Eventually he gets to the First Crusade, the Second Crusade, the Third Crusade, the Fourth Crusade, the Children's Crusade, the Fifth, the Sixth, the Seventh, the Eighth, the Ninth Crusade. Exhausted, he continues. The 335-year war, the French and Indian Wars, Second Cherokee War, the American Revolution, French Revolution, Haitian Revolution, the Napoleonic Wars, the Bolivian War of Independence, the Argentine War of Independence, Mexican War of Independence, the War of 1812, the Lower Canadian Rebellion, the Upper Canadian Rebellion, the Second Seminole War, the Mormon War, the Pastry War, the Honey War, the American Civil War, the Sioux Wars, Cuban War of Independence, the Spanish-American War, the Mexican Revolution, World War I, the Ruf Russian Revolution, the Irish War of Independence, the Spanish Civil War, World War II, the Palestinian Civil War, the Cold War, the Korean War, the Cuban Revolution, Tibetan Rebellion, Vietnam, Pay of Pigs, the Sand War, the Six-Day War, the Iran and Iraq War, the Falklands War, the Israeli invasion of Lebanon, the U.S. invasion of Grenada, the U.S. invasion of Panama, the Afghan Civil War, Rwanda, Chechnya, Bosnia, Chechnya again, Afghanistan, Kosovo, Iraq, Chechnya again. Afghanistan, Rwanda, Dafar, Iraq, Haiti, Pakistan, Lebanon, Kenya, Zimbabwe, Congo, Gaza, Somalia, Georgia, Iraq, Pakistan, Afghanistan again, Libya, and Syria. And the poet slumps in his chair, and he tells the audience, every single time I sing this song, I hope, I hope that it's my last time. But the explorer and author Freya Stark reminds us that the pendulum of history drips blood at every swing. Because from the beginning we have seemed to adore violence and war. And as Christians, we must not cling to the violence of the past. Palm Sunday reminds us as Jesus people, there is a new king 
who has come and does not call us to the same ways of the world. In a world shouting, Hosanna, save us, it must not be done with a threat of violence, power, or war, militaries, guns, bombs, tanks, planes, and other instruments of violence. Jesus has come to save us from ourselves and our ways of this world. Jesus has come to interrupt war, to interrupt everything we thought we knew about this world and offer us a better way. In his book, Postcards from Babylon, Brian Zahn writes this poem. The king approaches on Palm Sunday, forsaking the glorious war horse to ride a ridiculous peace donkey. Gentle as the wings of a dove, inaugurating the reign of love. Conquerors come with hubris, blood, and violence, riding stallions of famine, war, and pestilence. The Prince of Peace comes without breaking a bruised reed. Swords are now for plowing, spears are now for pruning. If Hosanna praises rocket's red glare, weep over Jerusalem. But if Hosanna acclaims kingdom come, let the rocks cry out. So we set our eyes on Easter one week from today. We set our focus on what Jesus is going to do for us on the cross and through his burial, his death, and resurrection. And so we no longer whisper in the shadows about war because the king has come. We no longer hope our enemies get what they deserve because the king has come. We no longer seek bloodshed for our own benefit because the king has come. We no longer participate in the ways of a violent world because the king has come. And may we see the coming of King Jesus on a humble, peaceful donkey as a reminder that we are called to change. That Jesus has interrupted the ways of this world. He has interrupted the vain displays of military power. He has interrupted the foolish displays of violence in our own daily lives. King Jesus has come to show us what life fully means in his kingdom. And he's willing to lay down his life for it. Let's pray. Father, we love you and are thankful. As so long ago, the king rode into town on a humble, silly donkey. While the world mounts up on its war horses and instruments of violence, we're reminded that Jesus came to bring, bring peace, to bring hope and love and joy and justice and equality compassion for all. As we set our focus on Easter Sunday next week, may we be people of holiness that seek to heal wounds, not cause them. Seek to mend violence and fighting and the conflict in our daily lives, in our world, because the King has come. And with that comes a new kingdom that we are all under a kingdom of love and peace. So on this Palm Sunday, Father, we're thankful that Jesus gives us what it looks like to be in kingdom relationship with you. And may we, as his people, show what it looks like for kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. 
Father, may we be people of peace. May we be people who show this world what it looks like to live in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So guys, as we've talked about over the last uh, couple of weeks, you know, we were not doing our normal uh, invitation or prayer time. Um, but what we're offering you is an opportunity that if you need prayers, there'll be an elder in our prayer room right back here in the corner who'll be able to pray for you and offer prayers. Um, we also have a, a phone number. I don't know if we have that on the screen anywhere. I don't know if I built it into my slide. Um, but it's in the announcement slides if you watch those after service is over. Uh, there we go. Um, that You can call uh, this number, save it to your phone. If you need prayers throughout the week, somebody from our staff will be able to pray for you. Um, if you're ready to follow Jesus into his kingdom and a kingdom of nonviolence and a kingdom of peace and love, you know, we'd love to have that conversation with you and what it looks like to be a Jesus person, as I like to say. But whatever it is th this week, um, as we think about Easter and we turn our eyes onto the resurrection of Jesus this coming week, man, I love Easter. Easter's, I, I like Easter more than Christmas, really. Um, because what it really means. Because a baby being born in the Middle East 2,000 years ago means nothing, absolutely nothing, if it's not for Easter Sunday. And so I'm excited about that this week, and I pray that this week you spend some time meditating and praying and focusing on what it looks like to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth, as Jesus has called us to do, and what it looks like to be a part of this kingdom with this new king. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being here this morning. We're going to sing another song. Grace and peace to you, my friends. I hope that you have a great week.